Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and more importantly, welcome back, Giants fans, to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast, the podcast that is home to all things Giants baseball. Folks, before we dive into today's show, I would like to take a moment to let you know that you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, then don't be afraid to subscribe. And if you really like the show, then make sure to leave a review. But most importantly, make sure to spread the word. With that being said, let's dive right in. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Say Hey Podcast. You are now listening to Episode 7, I believe. I'm your host today, James Donahue, just like I am every show. Hopefully that's not a deal breaker for you. And hopefully you weren't too discouraged after both of yesterday's games played against the Dodgers. Because yes, even though we did lose our seven-game losing streak, we still have won seven of our past nine games. Folks, for today's show, you can expect me to break down the past three games against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then I'm actually going to dive into what we can expect to maybe see right before the trade deadline, which is August 31st, I believe. And then lastly, I'll close the show out with a preview of our next matchup against the Arizona Diamondbacks. All right, let's get down to it. So game one, obviously, if you watched all three games, then you know that game one was by far the most exciting, the most entertaining, and the most enjoyable. Some highlights I wrote down were that Belt officially won't stop hitting. In the first game of this series, Belt had four hits, including one double and two home runs, including a home run off Kenley Jansen in the bottom of the ninth inning to tie the game and send it into extra innings. Some other offensive highlights are the obvious Donnie Salami walk-off home run in the bottom of the 11th inning, and also Evan Longoria walked away from the game with four hits. Last episode, I mentioned that the Giants' offense is averaging 10 hits a game. They were able to do that again in Game 1 against the Dodgers. However, something that was tough to see, and I'm not going to talk about it too much, I just need to mention it a little bit because it didn't seem to be a problem after this game, was that Joey Bart and Johnny Cueto did not seem to be on the same page at all. To be fair, Joey Bart is a rookie. Yes, absolutely. There are things to be learned. You can't learn everything overnight. Just because he's a top prospect does not mean as soon as he steps on the field, he's going to be great at everything. There are learning curves. Two is that this was the very first time Joey Bart caught Johnny Cueto. So this was the official first time Cueto and Bart were battery mates in an MLB game. And it showed, to be fair, it did show. It got to the point where it was awkward, where Cueto was being as patient as he could with Bart. But there was a point in the game where they were just not on the same page at all. Unfortunately, that was also the case with every pitcher that came into the game. I remember there was one point, not only was Bart not knowing what pitches to show Tyler Rogers, but there was also a point in the game where Tyler Rogers threw three straight strikes. Ooh, that is a tongue twister. Three straight strikes right down the middle, and every single time Joey Bart failed to catch the ball, there was really no reason for it other than he was probably in his own head at this point in the game. I mentioned this to bring it to your attention, but I also don't want this to be predicting some type of problem with Joey Bart. No, this was just something that I noticed throughout the game. He did not catch in game two, but I'll talk about the other games. He did end up catching in game three, but that's just because there was two games in one day. So another thing that was positive that came from this game was it was really fun to watch uh, Wendy Peralta and Sam Coonrod. And the reason why it was... Really, really fun to watch those two is because Wendy 
it almost seemed like Wandy was taking a page out of Johnny Cueto's playbook because he did the rotation thing, the shimmies. He started mixing up his rotations just like Johnny Cueto did. And that was the first time I, I me personally, I'm, I'm not saying that was the first time he did all season, but that was the first time I personally witnessed that, and he was able to get the job done. Sam Coonrod finally came back to the team because he was recovering from injury, and it was definitely a pleasant sight to see. I'll talk about Sam Coonrod a little later during this breakdown, but during this game, in Game 1, he hit 100 miles per hour two times, and he even was able to hit 101 miles per hour, which was extremely impressive. Like I said, I'll touch on him later. But yes, the ultimate highlight was that the Giants were able to hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 11th inning and preserve the seven-run win streak. However, we all know what happened the next day. The Dodgers and the Giants organization came together and decided that they wanted to cancel the game, which ended up happening. And as a result, the Giants and the Dodgers just made up for it and played a doubleheader the next day. And unfortunately, I wish I could tell you that Game 2 and 3 was just as sweet and just as awesome as Game 1, but unfortunately, that just wasn't the case. In Game 2, there just wasn't really a lot to say. Yaz, Wilmer Flores, Longoria, Solano all walked away with a hit, including Solano's hit, which was a double. And all four of those batters collectively only struck out once. Like I said, there's not that much to say. Kershaw did what he does every single time he goes out on the mound, especially to poor Joey Bart. He had a tough game in Game 1, and then he comes back in Game 2 and goes 0-3 for 3 with three strikeouts against Kershaw. This was his first official meeting against Kershaw. I would have done the exact same thing. Don't feel bad, Bart. Something else that's positive was that Wendy had another productive outing. He did not give up a single run. And unfortunately, it was a tough outing for Logan Webb just because... He pitched 3.2 innings pitched and gave up five earned runs on four hits. He did come away with four strikeouts in almost four innings. But the reason why it was so frustrating was because the command with his changeup was there and the velocity from his fastball was there. And four of those five runs all came in the fourth inning. He was having a really, really solid game. He was throwing absolute darts. But unfortunately, the collapse in the fourth inning was just too great for him to keep it together. And before I move on from the Dodgers series real quick, I'll go ahead and recap game three. Kevin Gosman struck out six over 4.2 innings. I'll talk about him later. And Bell literally won't stop hitting. I know I mentioned it earlier, but it's true. The Giants were only able to produce two hits in game three, the final game, and Belt was the only one that collected both hits. Too bad everyone else decided to stop hitting. I mentioned Sam Coonron earlier, and he's an absolute beast. In his last 1.2 innings pitch, he has not given up a single hit, walk, or earn run while striking out two. I mentioned his velocity. He hits 100 miles per hour with control at the top of the strike zone, and it is fun to watch. Another positive is that Trevor Gott was able to come into the game, and during his past two outings, he as well, in two innings pitch, has not given up a single hit or earn run. In previous episodes, I mentioned that Gabe Kapler views him as the closer role long-term. And I really, really wouldn't mind having Sam Coonrod and Trevor Gott and Tyler Rogers as a three-headed weapon that we can use at the end of all games. All right, enough of the L.A. Dodgers, am I right? Moving on to the juicy part of the show. Folks, if you don't know, the MLB trade deadline is August 31st. And we, as the Giants, are in a very, very interesting position when it comes to this trade deadline. And the reason being is because the playoffs might actually be attainable this year. We're in a position where we could be in a playoff hunt and we easily couldn't be in a playoff hunt. And at this point, as a lower tier team, 
Farhan Zaidi has to figure out what is the best move for us as a club going forward, short term, in order to keep the fan base interested, but also long term in order to build sustainability. And that's like sustainable production is what I mean by sustainability. And something we have to think about as fans is, yes, would a playoff run be fun this year? Absolutely. However, naturally, me personally, I'm someone who leans towards long-term sustainable production over short-term success because at this time, something you have to ask yourself is would you rather make a playoff run this year when the odds are stacked against us, take the chance of not making it to the World Series while also not having made any moves at the trade deadline, or make some loud, scary moves now in order to build a team that can succeed in the long run. And what I mean by loud, scary moves is trading some of the best players on our roster now. Because me personally, I'm kind of down for both. I really am, honestly. There's nothing that excites me more than thinking about this Giants team specifically making the playoffs, especially since nobody picked us to do so. But also, at the same time, I think I would enjoy seeing moves that set us up for, long, for more long-term success for years to come. And to tell you the truth, I have no idea what Farhan Zaidi is thinking. Last year, we were in the same exact situation when we decided to not trade Madison Bumgarner at the trade deadline. So my point is that I can speculate all I want about what's going to happen within these next few days, but I honestly, I really have no idea. That being said, here are three players that I personally wouldn't be surprised to see them move come August 31st. And the first one is Mr. Kevin Gosman. Now, I won't dive too deep into Kevin Gosman's stats because I pretty much mention them every time I get in front of a mic. But I will mention that today he put together another productive outing against the Dodgers, throwing 4.2 innings and striking out six batters while only surrendering two runs on three hits. After that outing, he now has thrown for a total of 21.3 innings pitched, has given up 20 hits, 10 earned runs, but has also accumulated 31 strikeouts. Yes, that ha- that does result in a 4.23 ERA over his last four games. But honestly, the pace that he's on right now is a pace that would set him up for 284 strikeouts over 197 innings pitched during a full regular season. Now, there are a lot of teams that are willing to pay for that type of production, and I believe the Giants should be willing to give him up for it but only for the right price, specifically a freaking high price. The reason why this move makes sense, well, it makes the most sense, is because Gosman is a free agent next year. I'm not sure if running the risk of both parties, and by both parties I mean Gosman and the Giants, I'm not sure if running the risk of both parties failing to reach an agreement at the end of the season, leaving Gosman to walk away and leaving us with nothing is worth it. Because there is a real chance that Gosman comes to the Giants at the end of the season and says, you know, he can say like, no, I'm worth more than what you're paying me right now. And he absolutely has the right to demand that, especially because of how well he's pitching for us. But unfortunately for us, the Giants aren't in a situation where they can pay more money to more people above the age of 30. If Gosman was 25 years old, then yes, things completely change. This might be a different story. But unfortunately, we are one of the oldest teams in the major leagues. That being said, if we move Gosman at the trade deadline, we can receive a lot of promising young talent in return. The next player I wouldn't be surprised to see leave the team is Brandon Belt. Yes, I know. Before you crucify me, the man on fire. Before you completely discredit me, 
Hear me out for a second. Heading into Thursday's doubleheader, Bell was swinging a hot bat worthy enough to produce a 571 batting average with four doubles, four home runs, 10 RBIs, and he only struck out four times over his last nine games, or 28 at best, depending on how you look at it. Now, this type of production would set him on pace to hit 72 doubles, 72 home runs, and 180 RBIs over a 162-game season. Yes, although regression might inevitably be in Belt's future, this hot streak that he's currently displaying might draw some interest from teams who need a first baseman that plays solid defense and could supply a productive bat no matter where you place him in the batting order. To Belt's credit, normally I wouldn't hold my breath when it comes to a Brandon Belt hot streak, mainly because of his career 262 batting average and the fact that he has never hit more than 18 home runs over his entire career. But due to the fact that he isn't striking out as of late and we only have about 30 games left in the regular season, there might actually be a chance that this hot streak is sustainable. Then why not keep him, you ask? Well, Belt is now 32 years old and his contract is pretty hefty. Belt is a free agent at the end of 2022 and if we decide to keep him until then, then we have to pay the first baseman $35 million. The reason this scares me is because I'm not sure I'm willing to pay that much money over the next few years just to hold on to him because he is on a hot streak right now. Another upside to trading belt is it creates more opportunity and flexibility when it comes to balancing out playing time between Posey and Bart. As of right now, belt is the better hitter, yes, but I definitely see the package of Posey and Bart in the future to be more productive offensively. I'm actually really curious to hear what you guys think of that last breakdown of Brandon Belt. I understand he's arguably probably the best hitter right now in our lineup, but I hope I was able to bring some food for thought. I would also love to hear what you guys think. Okay, moving on to our last player, Mr. Trevor Cahill. He has pitched 11 innings on the season and in that time frame has produced a 1.64 ERA has accumulated 14 strikeouts, and has only surrendered 5 hits. Not to mention, opponents have only been able to produce a 135 batting average against him. He is by far, by far has been our most productive pitcher. This type of pitching performance is a dream come true for teams that are guaranteed to making a playoff run, but more specifically, a run at the World Series. If there is anything we have learned over the past couple of years, it's that the best teams have a three-headed monster throwing the ball. For example, what I mean, literally just look at last year's World Series. We can see that the Nationals had Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, and Patrick Corbin. Likewise, on the other side of the ball, the Astros had Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, and Zach Greinke. I believe Trevor Cahill can be a very, very, very solid piece for a team that's really looking to make a hard push at the playoffs. But at the same time, even though I can see the Giants trading Cahill, I can also see them holding on to him because of, excuse me, because of his insanely cheap contract. He is literally pitching on a minor league contract right now. And if you can get this type of production at how cheap he's playing the game, usually teams want to hold on to that. So I can also see the Giants holding on to him at the trade deadline. All right, that is my two cents on the trade deadline. It's really, really exciting stuff. Like I said, I have no idea what Farhan Zaidi has in store. He's literally probably on his phone right now as we speak. Um, it's going to be really, really exciting. Again, the trade deadline is August 31st. So expect to see some moves, whether it be we sell players or whether it be we buy players. 
again, I have no idea. I'm just someone that likes to talk about my favorite team. But it'll be really interesting to see if Farhan decides to make another playoff run or completely jumps ship on the season and starts selling our players. Okay, let's move on to the future series against the Arizona Diamondbacks, which is something that we can all collectively get excited about considering, excuse me, collectively be excited about, sounded out, enunciate, considering how good the Giants played against the Diamondbacks the last time we played them. Game one, tonight, 6.40 p.m., Tyler Anderson versus Zach Gallen. Folks, if you did not see the last time Anderson pitched against the Diamondbacks, it's okay. I'll give you a quick recap. Anderson's last outing resulted in a complete game shutout. He only gave up three hits and collected four strikeouts while doing it. Although he did dominate the Diamondbacks, there are some players that do have some ownage on him. One player being Cattell Marte. Currently, he has a 375 batting average with a home run against Tyler Anderson. Not to mention, Tar- I almost said Tyler Marte. Cattell Marte got two of the three hits Anderson gave up last time these teams faced. Another hitter to keep our eyes out, and this is a hitter that we need to keep our eyes out for the entire series, is Nick Ahmed. He's been swinging a hot bat lately, but specifically against Tyler Anderson. He has a 417 batting average against him with two homers and five RBIs. However, the last time Ahmed faced Tyler Anderson, he went 0 for 3, so that is promising. All right. The Giants are going to be facing Zach Gallen, and the last time they faced Gallen, it wasn't easy. Or at least it wasn't easy as people remember. In six innings pitched, Gallen only gave up one earned run on three hits, and he struck out six of us. I think at this point in the show, it's important to mention that the Giants primarily scored the majority of their runs the last time we faced the Diamondbacks versus their bullpen. Specifically, they scored 10 runs in three games off of their bullpen. And the reason why I wanted to clarify that is because you might be confused when I break down these starting pitchers' outings because they actually pitched fairly well. It was just a classic case of Giants versus A's. And if you know what that, if you know what I mean by that, that means that whenever the starting pitching does well, the bullpen comes in and ruins the game. I'm not bitter. I, I promise I'm going to try to move on. Anyways, the last time Belt faced Gallon, he got two hits. Shocker, the man on fire. But that is about it. There's not a lot of ownage on Zach Gallon, primarily... The reason being is because he only, I'm pretty sure he's only faced us one time. So the key to this game and the key to all three of these games versus the Diamondbacks is, like I said, we have to get to that bullpen. Moving on to game two, Saturday at 5.10 p.m., Trevor Cahill, that's right, our best pitcher on the season so far versus Luke Weaver. Trevor Cahill's last outing was a beautiful sight to see. He pitched 5.1 innings. Only gave up one hit, one earned run, and struck out eight. Some onus to be aware about is Starlin Marte. That's right, there's two Martes. I had to pause for a second. Hopefully during the breakdown of the first game, I said Cattell Marte. Because Cattell Marte was the one that had onage on Tyler Anderson. And now Starling Marte is going to be the one who has the onage on Trevor Cahill. Anyways, Starling Marte. Yes, Starling Marte, I'm confusing myself, is sporting a 455 batting average against Cahill, including a triple and a home run. But that's about it. If Cahill can shut him down, which he did last time, uh, there should be no problems. On the other side of the ball is going to be Luke Weaver. His last outing against us was also pretty productive. In 5.2 innings pitched, he gave up two earned runs on five hits, and he struck us out five times. A matchup I'm excited to see is Brandon Belt again, shocker again, who had three hits against Weaver last time they faced, including a double. Longoria also has some ownage. He had a good game against Weaver. 
when he collected two hits, including a double. And the last game of the series is going to be Johnny Cueto versus Alex Young. And that's going to be on Sunday at 1 p.m. day game. I had to double check to see if Johnny Cueto really was the pitcher because it seemed like Johnny Cueto just pitched against the Dodgers. But then there was the game where they canceled, so no one played, and then there was two games in one day. So anyways, this is the correct matchup here. It's going to be Johnny Cueto versus Alex Young. Cueto did not face the Diamondbacks the last time we played them, but there is something to highlight here. Cueto has an overwhelmingly amount of ownage on Starling Marte. Yes, Starling Marte. In 25 at-bats, Marte is only hitting .040. That's his batting average. He's only gotten one hit in 25 at-bats and has struck out nine times. Hopefully the struggles can continue for Marte when these two face again on Sunday. And hopefully Cueto can do what he does best, as I mention every time, is keep batters off balance. Alex Young is kind of interesting because I don't really know that much about him. He has a 1-1 record with a 4.70 ERA. He's, a primar- he's primarily a bullpen guy, but has transitioned to becoming a starter due to Bumgarner being hurt. He's given up at least three runs over his last two outings, which is promising, but he's also collected at least four strikeouts. Players on our side who have some ownage are Longoria, who has a 375 batting average against him with a home run and four RBIs. Also, Donovan Solano has a couple hits off of him, so Donnie Salami will do what he does best, hopefully. And hopefully we can come come away with at least two wins here. We swept them last time, for people who, who do not know. And it would be really, really cool to see the Giants get at least two wins after being beat up against the Dodgers. And Well, they weren't really beat up. We did put up a fight game one. It just seems like we got beat up over games two and three. And as I mentioned, we're in a freaking playoff run, so it'll be exciting to play all these teams in our division. Anyways, folks, that is going to be it for today's show. Thank you so much to all two of you who stuck around to the end of the show. The support from you guys is overwhelming, and I will, can, I can never, never express how grateful I am to you guys. If you guys aren't listening to my show, then this show doesn't exist. It's just me talking to myself for 25 minutes every single day. Folks, just a friendly reminder that you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. And you can also subscribe just so you can be notified whenever there's a new episode coming out. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening to Episode 7. Stay tuned for Episode 8. Should be out on Tuesday. And most importantly, guys, go Giants.